0: Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and a director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm excited that my guest today is Lisa Caldwell. She's the co-founder and director of SAS for Women. She's a graduate of Fordham University. She holds an MA in Education from Columbia Teachers College, where she studied gender and leadership development. She's trained in transformational coaching, and she's a certified professional coach and recognized by the International Coach Federation. She's divorced and happily single. Lisa is the mother to two amazing and currently self-creating young women. Welcome, Lisa. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Catherine. I'm delighted to be here.
0: And you have co-founded SAS for Women. Tell us what that is and how it helps.
1: Thank you for asking, because so many people wonder what that is. So we actually say SAS, Support and Solutions for Women. And it's an acronym which stands for Support and Solutions because we really strive to move beyond just talk. We want there to be action involved.
0: That's, I think, really important. It is one thing to feel supported and to be supported. And then, of course, the important next step is taking a step and doing something with that support from a place of empowerment is what I think you're talking about.
1: That's right, Catherine. I'm not a divorce advocate. My interest in the word action is about moving beyond beyond the loop that we sometimes keep ourselves in wondering what we should do. And I'm sure you know, too, that even a baby step can help alleviate that anxiety. It doesn't mean you have to commit to divorce, but there are steps you can do to move out of that vicious cycle of wondering and being tortured about what to do.
0: And, you know, people come to the divorce decision from so many different ways, either they're the one making it or the one reacting to it or responding to it and have really different perspectives. And I know that you and SAS for women have a four stage approach from our previous conversations. And I'm wondering if you could give us an overview of what those stages are. And maybe then we could get into a little conversation about what each of them mean and how you work with people at each stage to navigate through.
1: Right. Thank you. Yes. Well, my business partner and I discovered that when we were going through our own separate divorces without even having met each other, that, you know, as much as we considered ourselves well-educated by certain measures, when it came to divorce, it really wasn't obvious how to begin, how to problem solve, how to find a lawyer. We had our own private struggles with the issue. And then... I had this epiphany at some point thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could create kind of a one-stop shop where a woman could go to be supported and to understand what the road looks like and to also understand that we really believe that this is a whole life challenge. It's not just a legal dilemma or a financial question it's really forces your hand to ask yourself who do you want to be who are you going to be if you're no longer what you've been investing in for such a long time my partner and I are both educators based on our experience in education we started researching what the journey looks like for a woman as she goes through divorce and we came up with four stages and we think it's a particularly important to share stages with women Because we think it's important to understand that there is a journey and there are certain things that one can be doing in each of these stages and other things that must be deferred. And if you understand that there are certain road marks on the journey and things that are going to be farther down the road, it helps you kind of manage your own expectations of what you can and cannot do. As long as there's kind of a road map, it gives you sense of peace and helps you understand, no, I'm going to focus on these things. So we've already kind of alluded to this vicious cycle, and that's what I would call stage one of divorce. You know, we have a very highly sophisticated name for stage one, which is something is wrong. (laughs) And Catherine, are you divorced? I am. Have you been divorced?
0: I'm divorced and remarried.
1: Okay. So just tell me if you can identify with sort of the descriptor of stage one where something is wrong. If you could visualize a circle that's more of a spiral, it's a spiral that goes around and around and around seemingly with no end. It's kind of a black hole. But if you're in stage one, it's this place where you know something is wrong. But because you're probably high performing in a lot of other areas, you've compartmentalized. So there's a voice in your head or some message within your body that's telling you something is wrong, but you're overriding it. And there are moments in your relationship where you think things are better. And so you kind of cycle up in this circle, hoping things are going to be better. Only to be disappointed again. So a woman in stage one is lost and spinning in her thoughts. She knows on some level, even if it's deep down and she hasn't admitted it to herself, that something's wrong and she may stay in this place for years wondering, what she should do. It's a vicious cycle, as I say. Right. Things will seem to be resolved, and she'll only circle back.
0: You know, it's really interesting, since you asked me, Lisa, uh, about my own experiences. I was the first person in my family to ever get divorced. My parents, who are lucky for me, still alive, have been married for over 60 years. And they have a good marriage, but I just thought you just got married and kind of stuck it out. And in fact, my grandmother told me that right before I got married for the first time, And I did not have a clue as to choices. And actually, ironically, I was a divorce lawyer at the time that I got married. And when my grandmother said, you know, you can never get divorced. You've got to stay together no matter what. And those were my instructions. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, if I'm unhappy, I'm going to get divorced. But I had no idea. Like to me, like emotionally, that wasn't really true. That was like an intellectual question. Comment, you know, it took me a long time in an unhappy marriage to say, Well, you know, wait a second, I don't have to keep doing this. Like getting out of that marriage, it took a really long time for it to occur to me that that was really a possibility.
1: Well, that's right. We hear so many messages, you know, overt messages like your grandmother and even just societal messages that we are supposed to stick it out. But, you know, your grandmother certainly meant well. She had her own challenges in her marriage over 60 years for sure. But she was also a function of her generation and time, right, where women didn't have a lot of choices, where people didn't really know how to to do this maybe healthily or with compassion. It was a lot harder in the past. There are more resources today. And in lots of places in this world, not all over the world, that's for sure. It is easier for women to have different choices rather than just sticking with the status quo. Yeah. So, you know, at some point and often multiple times during stage one, there'll be a trigger, something that compels you to look at, to kind of break from the circle, if only momentarily to say, I cannot take it anymore, or it may be forced upon you. Your mate might say, I want a divorce or I want a separation, but there's a trigger. I will say often it involves a third party, this trigger. So it may be your child witnessing or saying something that drives you out of just this mental dialogue with yourself or just these arguments you're having with your mate. If your child says something, it compels you to look at kind of the dynamic differently. You know, we women are incredible caregivers and we have a high tolerance for pain. We give birth. Sometimes multiple times, forgetting how hard it was the first (laughs) time, right? So our ability to, as caregivers to put other people in front of us is also part of the thing that keeps us in that circle. But if sometimes someone outside that circle, like a child or even a good friend who observes something, says, wow, you've got to do something about your relationship, then it compels us to look at it a different way. And that trigger can be an invitation to move into what I call stage two, which is not necessarily you've got to divorce. It's something's got to change. That dynamic is not healthy in stage one. It's dysfunctional. And Catherine, you certainly know, looking around in the world, a lot of relationships that are dysfunctional, a lot of long-term marriages, which are stage one by definition, they're dysfunctional. But the devil they know is better than the devil they don't know. They'd rather stay in that place than explore what's possible beyond.
0: Absolutely. I think that's part of the human condition is the fear of the unknown.
1: Yeah. And of course, my work is really focused on women, but I have spoken to men and a lot of men identify with this journey as I describe it and what I'm now calling stage two, which is heeding the trigger and accepting That something has to change. And I don't like to advocate that you go directly into a lawyer's office. I like people to do some preliminary advanced work so that they're going into the right lawyer's office to get educated. But the beginning of the stage is just acknowledging something's got to change and to say, am I entitled to finding out what else is possible for my life? It's not embarking saying, I've got a divorce. It's like, what else? my menu of choices and that's, of course, where a lot of people stay in stage one because they don't know what else is possible. So the beginning of stage one is talking, bringing it out of your head and talking with seasoned experts. So it's not just talking laterally, if you will, with your girlfriend who maybe has never been divorced. No, you really need to speak to somebody who can give you feedback on your specific circumstances. So it might begin with maybe Googling in the dark, like a lot of us do when we're in pain, when stage one, and investigating what your state laws are about divorce. But at some point, you have to cross the threshold or make a phone call and talk to somebody. And, you know, if you've done some Googling in the dark, then maybe you've said, okay, I think I'm a good candidate for collaborative divorce. Let me find out more about it and if it would be right for me. That would mean creating what your legal questions are and going in and talking to somebody like you to hear how that model might help and whether they're a good candidate. What makes somebody a good candidate, Catherine, for collaborative divorce, for example?
0: I think that's a great question. I think that people are good candidates for collaborative divorce when they want to find a resolution with their mate or their partner on the criteria that makes sense to them rather than handing the decision over to a stranger. They want and are willing to engage in direct but facilitated and supported conversation about the issues and to put out what's important To them and willing to listen to what's important to the other person again with help and they want to do it in a supported setting where they feel like they've got someone there who's got their back and they have the expertise in the room to solve their family situation parenting financial you know emotional and they're willing to and interested in finding a resolution that gives them hope and positive ideas about the future going forward
1: Well, what I like about that is that folded into that is that concept. This is not just a legal situation, not just a financial question, right? You're acknowledging that there's an emotional journey. There's a parenting journey to this. As I say, I think this impacts someone 360 degrees with their life.
0: Of course it does. Of course it does. So what
1: makes someone not a good candidate for collaborative?
0: I'm going to answer that question, Lisa, but first I want to remind people that you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're here on WVOX, 1460 AM in Westchester, every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And we're also available as a podcast at www.divorcedialogues.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we're talking today with Lisa Caldwell, the co-founder of SAS for Women about SAS for Women's Four Stages of Divorce and the ways in which Lisa and her colleagues help people think through the divorce process. And so, to answer your question, Lisa, I think when people are not a good candidate for collaborative divorce or mediation, when they feel like any resolution that works for the other person doesn't work for them, right? You and I are getting divorced, imagine. If this works for you, it doesn't work for me by definition. I feel that there is no way that I could sit in a room with you for anything ever again, that we are incapable of speaking to each other, and I just want what I'm entitled to, and I just want to walk away from this. That person is probably not best suited for a collaborative or mediated divorce. Another possibility is if there is significant domestic abuse. a significant power imbalance where one person just is not going to be capable with a reasonable amount of support to bring themselves fully and openly and authentically to the conversation that that wouldn't feel safe, then that person probably is not a good candidate for collaborative remediation.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot to kind of take in. What I'm hearing with collaborative is that it's more comprehensive in your support, but it's not good for the person who has a mate or is this kind of personality where it's my way or the highway. Someone who's not flexible is not a good candidate for collaborative.
0: That's true if it's really that because sometimes people it's appear really that. right right because sometimes people will say well that's how my husband is or that's how my wife is and that's how they are locked in the conflict dynamic that the couple has developed that's the experience mm. of the other person and with appropriate professional intervention it's possible to change that dynamic my experience is most people who think they're locked in that dynamic aren't really but there are some people with certain characterological challenges who yes. really cannot bring themselves to any kind of collaborative dialogue. And those people probably are best suited in a different kind of process.
1: Right. So there's a lot to this. You know, it's not just the question of getting divorced, but it's how you're going to do it and what tone are you going to set? And we know certainly that if you've children, the tone that you set while divorcing, the model that you choose, is going to have a direct impact on your children. So there's what sounds like in the collaborative model, this recognition like, look, at some point we have to, if we're parents in particular, we're going to have to be able to navigate some of these issues, just as good co-parents. So it's kind of building that template or building that recognition that we're going to have to talk about some important things. However, of course, as with any model, it's not right for everybody. During this Stage two, it's really important to talk to different professionals to find out what you're a good fit for. But as a woman is in this stage, you know, as hard as stage one is, stage two gives relief because there's movement. You feel better because you're finding out. You're no longer just keeping it in your head. But the emotional duress, the stress is not going away. So I'm going to kind of give a little description of stage two as I said, the conversation has shifted to include others. And by doing that, divorce becomes a real possibility. It may mean the couple has begun to discuss the issues with each other or that one partner has confided in a professional such as an attorney or coach. But a woman in stage two is often experiencing shock, stress, powerlessness, and overwhelming fear. She's moving but it's a time when difficult decisions must be made, and yet it's difficult because she's in crisis because, of course, stress hormones are impacting us yeah. <laughs> through virtually all the stages of this journey, and that impacts our ability to really think well. So I like to have people think of stage two as this is your place where you are getting educated. You're not buying anything off the shelf. You have to find out what your rights are, what you're entitled and what model might work and who can best support you. I happen to think that it's a really good thing. Of course, I'm going to pitch myself. I think it's really good to speak to an educator or a coach in the beginning who can kind of give you an overview of the different model and then connect you with the right professionals of those models. So you save time going in and kind of learning it, not learning it the hard way by being in the wrong place at the wrong time and spending the money, but hearing which ones would be a good fit. Towards the middle of stage two, you've decided to do something. And it may mean, you know, reinvesting in the relationship. Again, I think that you have to go in with a different mindset. And I also think that there are certain therapeutic models that are good for helping you recommit to the relationship or see if there's any space. Or you've decided to move forward as hard as it is with divorce or separation or you have no choice. So you've committed at some place a long path in stage two. And then the logistics of divorce begin.
0: Well, let me stop but, you right there, because I really, yeah. again, remind people that you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking with Lisa Caldwell, the director of SAS for Women. And you did talk about coaching, Lisa, and you know the possibility of meeting with someone early on in the process. And I know that's work that you do. And I think that it would be really a opportunity now for you to give some contact information. If people listening are interested in contacting you or another person from SAS for Women, how could they do that and how could they find out more information?
1: Thank you very much. I offer free 45-minute consultations to any woman who calls me from anywhere in the world, and they do. We have a very robust website with over 100 articles. Focused on these different stages. So a woman can literally choose where she is and then read more articles about that dilemma. But you can find our website at SAS for Women. That's S-A-S-F-O-R women dot com. And I encourage you to sign up for my six month weekly coaching letter that will give you, you know, action plans, steps, coaching, exercises, suggestions for movement, not necessarily advocating divorce again, but getting some relief by doing something, saying you're doing something and actually having impact on your life.
0: I think that's really wonderful information. We have about five minutes left in the show, and I want to make sure that we get to talk a little bit about stage three and stage four.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, stage three. So at some point in stage two, there's been a kind of closure. You might have signed the divorce document. You might be living under different roofs now. But the journey continues. And in some ways, it's harder because it's no longer black and white. The documents, the finances, you kind of resolve these things. Stage three is this critical place, much misunderstood by society, because society says to you, come on, you've divorced, move on. But stage three is where something is changing. You haven't metabolized all the change yet. You're now living as an independent person. You no longer can blame your ex so much. She's not there in the same room with you. And you're waking up and looking at yourself in the mirror and recognizing that there's nobody else but you. And who are you after all these years? So stage three is a place where a woman is changing and she's figuring things out. It's that stereotypical phase in the movies of a Hollywood divorcee wearing shorts and dyeing her hair and driving a convertible and dating much younger men. It's a post-adolescence for many people where they are discovering themselves. But the flip side of that post-adolescence, and you'll forgive this New York City alarm that's in the background, (laughs) (laughs) the flip side of this kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stage is that the overwhelming emotion here is grief, Because you are mourning. You may not be mourning him, but you are certainly mourning on some level the loss of an identity. You might be mourning the fantasy that was your marriage. The fact that you were hoping to retire in Maine one day. All of these things are no longer on the table. Who are you going to be and where are you going? It's a very challenging stage. It could be a lot of fun. But there's a lot of pain in this stage, too, because women feel often very alone. As I say, a lot of people say move on, and it's not obvious. So community is very important in this stage, and finding like-minded people who understand divorce and reinvention is really important. It sounds like what you're
0: talking about is kind of like rediscovering yourself. It's kind of like rediscovering yourself as an amputee. Like, who am I without that appendage or that part of me that was my spouse or that was my partner? And what does that mean about who I am in the world? And how do I present myself and feel myself and be as myself in the world alone?
1: Yes. Yes. Who am I? Who am I? So an amputee is certainly how people feel. And what I'd love to throw in there is, of course, an amputee. But think of a starfish someone who regenerates yes so how are you gonna find that strength to regenerate who are you as an independent person so again this is 360 degrees at some so extent, and in our last in
0: our last minute here can you tell us a little bit about what stage four is
1: stage four if you do the work in stage three that is you work on yourself and your healing and the responsibility you played in your past relationships so you are not destined to repeat things You eventually will move into a place of terra firma. It's a new normal. You have rid yourself of toxic people. You've settled into a new groove, a peaceful rhythm. You've learned incredible coping mechanisms for change as a result of this journey. And you're always going to face change, but now you're going at it with a different attitude.
0: That's really, I think those four stages are so helpful to thinking about divorce. Lisa Caldwell of SAS SAS for Women, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce.
1: Thank you, Catherine. What a pleasure. I appreciate it.